Hello, podcasters, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast, Working Drummer. Today we talk to the iconic George Lawrence. Not only has George been the drummer for Poco for over a decade, he is known throughout the Nashville drumming community as a natural mentor with years of experience performing live and in the studio. George shares with us highlights of his rich career that has taken him from Jackson, Mississippi to L.A. to Nashville. To find out more about this podcast and others, go to workingdrummer.net. You can find us on iTunes and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Here is George Lawrence. That's what I do. And it's, I, don't, I don't know why it is my calling in life, but for some reason people want to talk to me about their you know, careers and I think it's just because I'll listen sometimes, you know. You do, and, man, you do. And I think that goes back to probably the first time that I met you is that you uh, engaged people and, and a, a lot of uh, different people in their state and what they were doing, uh, whether they were just starting out, just moving to town, or they've been here for a while. I mean, you, you were one of the first people that said, hey, come out to this show, come out. That's where I met Lee at 3rd and Lindsley. Mm-hmm. So uh, you just never know, especially when you come to an environment like Nashville. You don't want to bother people. Um if somebody is engaging with you, if they're trying to tell you all the things that they're doing and they're bragging and stuff like that. But you were you were like, hey, what's going on? What's going on with you? What are you doing? And the thing is, is, you never know. I remember Chris McHugh coming into Forks one time, <clears throat> and he was talking about all these sessions that he was doing. I'd never met him, and, and I remember Paul Snyder yeah. was there, and, and uh, it's like... Okay, who is this guy, man? He sure is, you know, dropping a lot of names. Well, sure enough, man, later, you know, he's doing everything, you know, so you never know. Right, right. And I have an experience where I was at Forks. I had been there close to two years at the time. I was kind of becoming a little bit, I was getting over uh, some of the attitude and some of the different, some of the more negativity that was going on mm-hmm. uh, with as you as you run into just with with different people, uh, and um, I there was a, a drummer that came in and he goes, hey, I'm thinking about moving to town. I've been with this band for a long time, but I want to. Do you know about any auditions? About any sessions? And I wasn't in the mood. I just I was being I was being a jerk that day. Who was it? He gives me his business card, and it's his, it's Jerome Augustinac, Jerry Augustinac, the drummer for 10,000 Maniacs. Wow. And I was like, uh, wow. I was like, wow, that's, man, Jerry, I know you. I know who you are, and it's like, I'm a fan of the band, and my wife's a huge fan of the band. Mm-hmm. Really? You want to move to town? And he's like, yeah, I mean, you know, we're just the band's just going different ways. And one of the guys passed away, had passed away recently. And But um, it was really interesting. I kind of had to check my attitude real quick. Yeah. Um, not knowing. I, I had I was in no position to, 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 to be that way. I mean, I just, I was I'm trying to figure out how to explain this. I was dismissing yeah. his his question and his inquiry of what was going on in Nashville. 
Yeah, um, you like you want to go to that answer? You know, you have like, well, you don't just move to town and find auditions, dude. That's you know, what I did. Yeah, you and know, it's and like that's had, what you're thinking, but you yeah. don't say it. But it's like and had a bit of stank. You don't on even it. want to go yeah. through the conversation. You know, no. Yeah. And then I'm like, man, I got to be real careful. It's yeah. like that's not good. That's not good. Um, but man, I want to. Um, I was going through your bio, and but I also want to find out more about what's going on these days. Uh, what's going on with you now? What's going on currently? Ooh, well, I'm still playing with Poco. Yeah, I've been with them since 2004. I was counting up. This is the 12th year, and that's a that's a long gig. Yeah, and yeah. I've never been with the band that long. Right. And uh, <clears throat> it's not like I'm playing with an artist. It's it's literally a band. You know, there's you know Rusty Young owns it, but at the same time, you know he treats it like a band. And there's you know I'm in on the recordings and the merch and uh, all that stuff. Yeah. And and uh, it's it's been the coolest gig I've ever had. We don't tour full time anymore. We quit touring full time in 2013, and I'm going to Washington tomorrow, Washington State, to, to play a gig. So we just do one offs. Okay. The, the cool thing is, is once we quit touring, our price went up. <laughs> so uh, we get paid a lot more for playing less gigs, which is cool. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah, yeah. It, I call it the Eagles theory. You know, just the way to make make it in the music business is just quit. Right. <laughs> but I know what I'm doing. Um, I'm playing cover gigs. Mm-hmm. I'm going over to Knoxville a lot and playing. And one of the reasons I'm doing this is I bought some land over there. Mm. And I'm planning on building a house there at some point. I just said, well, I'm going to go find some work in Knoxville. So I'll have an excuse to go over there. Well, I ended up getting with this really cool, great four-piece band um, with a guy named Steve Rutledge. I know Steve. You know Steve? Yeah. Man, he keeps us working, let me tell you. And, yeah. You know, it's really funny. I had, there was a guy over there, I was, you know, trying to get into the drumming community over there, and there is a good one. There's a, there's a lot of okay. Nashville expatriates okay. over there. I know John Gardner is over in that area. Oh, yeah, yeah. But a uh, guy said, said, you can't be in Poco, man. What are you doing? You know, you're, you're here playing a cover gig, you know. <laughs> and my answer to that would be, if I had said something, man, it's all covers to me. I didn't write any of this stuff. Right, you know? right. <laughs> it's all covers. Sure, sure. You know. But, uh, no, I, I enjoy doing that. And then uh, my main thrust right now is I'm doing something that I've always wanted to do, which is I'm, I'm going to record my own CD. Oh, wow. Have you ever done that before? No. I've always just been working, you know, for other people, recording right. for other people. Yeah. And I've thought about it over the years. And I thought about, you know, getting all the gear and setting up, you know, a studio at home and doing it that way. And I said, you know what? I don't want to be an engineer. I just want to be a drummer. Yeah. I lucked out. And a friend of mine is a, he owns a, a record label and a recording studio in Jackson, Mississippi, my hometown. And he's a great jazz guitarist. Mm. He recently called me to play on his album. I went down there. And I said, what do you think about, you know, me doing my album down here? He said, come on, let's go. You know, so uh, I don't I haven't determined what it's going to be. It's definitely not going to be a bunch of drum solos because I don't do those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about just calling it two and four. You know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, we're doing that. And then also he and I and a bass player, we've known each other for 40 years, 
we're going to do a, a, a jazz trio album. So I'm trying to record, I'm trying to do music that I want to do. Is it going to be more more like traditional jazz, more like bebop style, or? Oh, it's not bebop. No, it's it's you know it's more groove okay. type stuff. Mm-hmm. I hate to I hate to pigeonhole it, but I would say that that these these two guys play in kind of the Pat Metheny Weather Report. Oh right, you know early fusion. You can pigeonhole that. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, well, it's you know. But I mean that that you I know, like I to do that, that kind stuff. of stuff. You're right, right. You know. Are you gonna Are you gonna write? Uh, yes, yes. I've already written a couple of things, and mm-hmm. I'm not really a writer. You know, I just mm-hmm. kind of search for the lost chord on the yeah. on the keyboard. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I've got some things. But a lot of it's going to be probably tunes that I've recorded with other people. That, oh, okay. You know, that I thought were cool, and um, I don't know. That's 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 what's on my mind right yeah. now is doing that. You know. I, I kind of wonder what percentage there is of drummers that do have that on their mind because we play a role in, in such a way that we're always playing that supporting role. And, a communist. Yeah, and um, you know, there's a fair share of drummers that don't play any other instruments, and and but there are those that have a broader understanding. But I think um, that desire to be in the creative seat at some point and and have more of a say and maybe because it's funny you say yeah. that because I've considered that as well well the other thing is, is um, one of the reasons I decided not to do it by myself uh-huh. is because I actually think I need need a producer I need somebody who can say no you don't want to do that you know or let's, yeah. let's try this or yeah. you know well right I mean especially when you get a good producer it makes a lot of sense I mean gosh some of my favorite bands or some of the Musicians that I admire a tremendous amount. When I look at their records, there's a producer involved. Yeah. You know, there's they they play an important part. There, there's a reason why they're not doing it all themselves. You and know. you know, these days, what's weird is a lot of the producers are like also the band and the engineer and the producer yeah, and the record right. company and everything. You know, yeah, and, and yeah. I don't. I like working the you know the old fashioned way where the producer just kind of sits there and says, "Yeah, no, that's great. That sucks." Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's awesome. Well, what are you going to do with the record once you're done with it? What's it, what's do you have any thoughts? Uh, well, um, this guitarist's name is Randy Everett. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, his first album was was well received by the jazz press, jazz critics, and mm-hmm. he's sold a lot. Okay, it's just his own label, you know. Okay. And uh, uh, I figure that that will play into it somehow, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm. Um, with the you know basically the the record company the record business shrinking down to ten percent of what it was yes know, yeah. the record label business um, you're talking major labels yeah I'm having to relearn how you can do things though I mean Poco's last three albums were on our own label yeah you know we did it ourselves. Well, let me ask you real quick, just kind of going on that tangent. Do you feel like now's a good opportunity because of the climate of the music industry that, hey, I, I can produce my own record now. I can, I, I'm, I'm ready to write and I'm ready to record my own material and I can do it because of the technology, you know, and the way that labels, the way that music is distributed. Do you think that's a motivator for people to start I think it's a motivator for people 
to whom that comes naturally, to who who grew up with that technology. Yes. You know, for me at my age, I don't want to learn it. You know, I I, I was part owner of a studio in the '90s, and it was all tape based. We had ADATs. We were just getting into digital. Yeah. And all of a sudden, computers took over, and I just went, you know what? I don't I don't want to learn all this stuff. You know, I just want to get back to playing drums. Right. right. But I can see where. People have a different. Younger people have a different mindset now. They can they can multitask and yeah. being an engineer yeah. and recording yourself is part of being a drummer these yes, days. You yes, know, yes. Re- recording, doing tracks at your own home. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, but I, I think uh, what I was trying to find out more about distributing your creation, distributing the music, and, and getting your own music out there, uh, whether it's your stuff. Or whether it's Poco, or whether it's you know under a smaller label, and I, what I'm trying to figure out is how that's changed over the last 20 years. Um, I'm just wondering if people kind of f- feel like they can do whatever they want to do. It's not. I mean, if you have somebody who's an expert in technology, can record, and do all that stuff. Not that I know that has changed, and that brings the cost of production down. But the ability to distribute anything that you create online or whatever, I'm just trying to... Yeah, I think the process got reversed when mm. when the whole digital world started. Used to, you would get a, a record deal, you were a club band or, you know, um, a singer. They'd come in, they'd sign you to the label, make your record, get it on the radio and establish your audience. They would build the audience on the radio. Now... Yeah. You don't have that record company. You have to pay for your own production. Yeah. Then you have to go build your audience. Yeah. You know, there's nobody doing it for you. You've got basically got to just tour, 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 you know, play gigs, gigs, and sell that stuff at the gigs. Get on YouTube until hopefully somebody will notice you and want to distribute it Mm -hmm. further. Mm -hmm. Truthfully, I don't know a whole lot about that end of it. I yeah. just I, I haven't wanted to actually find out. I, I don't really consider myself in the recording business. Yeah. Anymore, you know. Yeah. I'm just yeah. I'm thinking play, create, you know. But you have other things. But there's other things about what you're doing. Uh, you have teaching, and you. Have I'm still teaching nice. a little bit. Okay. Um, just spot lessons here and there. Nowhere near what I was doing when I was teaching at Forks mm-hmm. in the '90s. I was cranking them out. Right there right. all the time, you know, and it was everybody from, you know, twelve-year-old beginners to to pros. Yeah, you know. Do you have a desire to build that back up? To some extent. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to do it at you know five days a week like I used to. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I feel like I'm jumping ahead, but still, no. I want to go uh, into what you're doing now. Uh, tell me about Not So Modern Drummer. Well, Not So Modern Drummer, the magazine was started by John Aldrich in 1988, and then he sold it to Bill Ludwig in 2005. I bought it from Bill Ludwig in 2008, not because I wanted a magazine, but because I had been looking to buy a drum company. I wanted to buy an old name, you know, like Slingerland or um, Fibes or any name that had been established. Well... They weren't, there There was nothing. There was no way to get any of these things. They were either locked up or they didn't, you know, somehow or other you, you, you couldn't buy them or they wanted too much money. John had called me 
about buying this from Bill. And I said, I don't, you know, I'm running a drum shop, man, and I'm, I'm touring. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't have time to do this. He said, well, the, um, the not-so-modern drummer uh, drum is included. Oh, and I went, ding, you know, okay, I'll do it, you know. And I, it was at a good price, Yeah. you know, and I just kind of let it, I did it like it was always done. John actually edited it for me for a while, and um, then I had one of my employees do it. It was a quarterly magazine. You know, I had to learn right. the magazine business, yeah. but the thing was, it was already time to go digital. You know, it was yeah. it was a relic. It was down to like fifteen hundred subscribers, oh, and wow. then uh, the year that we decided to go all digital and go monthly, yeah, went up to thirty thousand subscribers like that. Wow. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> you know, don't get me wrong, it's it's not a big money maker. In fact, it's kind of been a money pit. For me, yeah. <laughs> and and a couple of other folks, but um, it's a labor of love, yeah. You know, and yeah. it's about you know the vintage drums, and I'm not the world's foremost authority on vintage drums, but I know a lot of those guys, and they write you know for the magazine, and yeah. it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Do you uh, tie that into the drum show, the Nashville drum show? Yeah, Is that's that- the Nashville drum show was just kind of a natural. Well, actually, John had been doing it. The, okay. the original owner started somewhere in '98, I think, mm-hmm. and it grew. And we haven't done it every year. It's been, you know, it's been an off and on thing. It just depends on what my schedule is. Can I, you know, yeah. can I work it in this year? Well, what? So describe what goes on on the Nashville Drum Show. What the Nashville Drum Show? Yeah, or how does it different than like Pasic or or like Nam? You know, different places. Where yeah, it's 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 similar to Nam in that a lot of the manufacturers are there, but then there's also a lot of the vintage drum guys. Yeah, that are there, and they're you know they're basically buying and selling. Yeah, and then there's people that have come out with new products, and they're trying to introduce them. Mm-hmm. And um, this last year, it was it was we had a big feather in our cap with Gretsch introducing their new broadcaster series at our show instead of at Nam. Oh, you wow. Know? So yeah. that was kind of cool. That's neat. We had Fred Gretsch there. And, oh, cool. You know, yeah. Um, do you guys ever have, like, performances? Or yeah, this to- year it was um, uh, Bonnie Carlos mm-hmm. and Roy Wooten and the Wooten brothers, all of them. Okay. And... Why am I blanking on this? He's one of my best friends. Pat McDonald. <laughs> and um, Bob Harson And Kaylee Moyer, young girl who's uh, been studying with... Um, who was she studying with? Zorro, I guess? Hmm. Or maybe Chester, I can't remember. She's been studying okay. with somebody big in town. She was at Belmont, I think. Okay. And um, she's going to do well. You know, oh yeah, yeah. She's yeah. going to do very well. Okay. Um, and, and that went on for two days. It was it was you know pretty well received. Awesome. But it's not a big show. Yeah. You know. And Bunny, I know, is a big collector, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has has a barn full oh, of, of drums. His his uh, he's one of the foremost collectors. Wow. Yeah. I, and I know his real name. Should we say it? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Let him remain mysterious. When I was um, just out of college, uh, the summer after college, I worked for a production company in Columbus, and 
my job as runner for different shows was to do whatever was needed. And uh, during a cheap trick show, or before they went on, my job was to climb on stage and fill Bunny's uh, cooler up with ice. So it would be all ready to go. And he had this huge air conditioning unit uh, sitting on milk crates, just full blast right at the drum throne. And it was freezing. You know, I mean, like a wall unit that you would find really? in a... What about the heat coming out the back of it? You know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but I, I, that, that I had an epiphany uh, during that. Uh, I put the ice in there. I look up and I see all these fans in anticipation waiting to see the band. And I'm like, I don't think I want to do production. <laughs> I think I want to be a player. You know, um, not that production isn't could be in my future. But yeah. at the time, at 22, 23 years old, I was like, I still have a lot of playing to do. And it was it was it was at a cheap trick show and I saw it. I was like, wow. Um, so Jackson, Mississippi, that's your mm -hmm. hometown. Mm -hmm. So tell me about that. Tell me like what got you started and what was the impetus um, for playing. Started playing piano in the fourth grade. Saw Ringo on TV on the Ed Sullivan You're show. You're one of those guys. I'm one of those guys. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait a minute, this guy's playing drums. La laughing his ass off, having a fun time, and yeah. shaking his head, and all the girls are going, well, yeah, that's what I want to do. <laughs> um, but I joined the school band yeah. in uh, fifth or sixth grade, and mm. it's pretty much what I did, you know, played in garage bands. And that was in Mississippi, different towns, till we moved to, to Jackson uh, when I started junior high school. And um, I just lucked out. I had some good band directors and other good drummers, yeah. you know, around me, and um, it was one of those things where, you know, when I when I started, I'm going, man, I can do this. I'm, you know, I'm I'm pretty good at this. You know, yeah, I'm going to stick with this. You know, yeah. and because um, it definitely wasn't sports for me, you know, <laughs> a little guy. You know, but um, and then I started playing gigs when I was 15. Mm. You know, it was just you know, kid stuff, YMCA dances and right. country club dances and everything. Right. But I was on the road with a professional band. My junior year in high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Almost got kicked out of school for missing so much school because of that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, did you know at some point that this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of yeah, my life? Yeah, pretty much. Early on. Yeah, 15, right. I knew. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Yeah. And, and is that, what does that band do? I mean, is that band, was that a band that was touring then? That still band was a band called the Royal American Showman. We named the band after uh, the circus, the Royal American Shows. And it was a, it was a show band. It was a mm -hmm. horn band. Yeah. Big band. And uh, they are, no, they're not together anymore. But there's such an alumnus in that band that, that we all stay in touch on, on Facebook. And we've mm -hmm. talked about doing a reunion show. But, you know, it's like herding cats, you know, trying to get an old right, band together. Right. Was it an established band and you Very were the young guy came in? We were like the... Um, they were already like the fraternity party kings of the okay. South. Yeah. And their drummer quit and they hired me and, you know... At 15? No, at 17. Okay. Yeah. Still? Still, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then we ended up becoming a club band. Okay. And we played all 48 states. Wow. Yeah. I think they actually did play Hawaii at one point, but I wasn't in the band anymore. 
But I did two stints with them, one in high school and one later in college. Okay. You know, they hired me back. And that was kind of my whole college career. Go to go to um, school for two semesters, three semesters, get a gig, go. Come back to school, get a gig. You know, I was too busy playing music to get a degree and, you know, in learning how to play music and get a degree. <laughs> well, what was your major? What were you studying? Was it music? Yeah. And a music performance, and then my, the last one I did was film broadcast arts. Okay. And I mainly did it because it was kind of a blow-off degree. Yeah. <laughs> you just had to, you just had to go to class, and you didn't have to. Yeah. You know, you didn't have to prepare, prepare anything. Uh, did you ever graduate? Or no, just, I never. No? I never got my degree. Okay. But you know, I've taught all my life. I've taught at colleges. You know, as an adjunct, I've played in symphony orchestras. So, you know. There's ways to get around it if you've, right. you know, not for everybody, but... One of the bands uh, I know was, uh, I was looking at all the different people you've worked with. Um, one of the bands was uh, North Texas. Yeah, I went and to, what's the... Uh, North what's, Texas State. Yeah, what's the connection yeah, there? Which is now known as the University of North Texas. Okay. Um, I went to school there. Um, one, one of the influential drummers for me was a guy named Tom Leonardo yeah. from Memphis. He's, he's a great drummer. I just got a, a, a voice message from him yesterday. Huh. You know, and um, uh, he inspired me because he could play jazz and I was just getting turned on to jazz. And yeah. we were, that band that we were talking about, the Royal American Showman, he was in that band too. We had two drummers at one point. And, uh, Both playing at the same time? Yeah. Gigs? Okay. And it was almost oh, kind of like cool. the Almond Brothers where I was the rock guy and he was the jazz guy playing the light stuff on top, you know? And, yeah. Uh, anyway, he uh, told me about, you know, Berkeley. I think he had gone to Berkeley for a minute and, and about North Texas State. And I decided to go to North Texas State. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> it, it was a good move. Yeah. You know? So part of your college career is going to North Texas as yeah. well. And the other major college I went to was uh, SMU, Southern Methodist, Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so that, I'm just trying to think of, uh, you spent time there, and it was the semester on, semester off situation when you were at North I Texas. only did two semesters at North Texas State, uh-huh. and then got hired back by the band that I'd been playing with in high school. I went out with them for about two years. Yeah. Then I moved back to Dallas. Yeah. Went to SMU. Wow. And got involved with a couple of bands that basically were instrumental in me getting to California. Right. And is that when you ended up in L.A.? Actually, we moved to Northern California. Okay. At first. Um, okay. One of the drummers for the Doobie Brothers, Michael Hossack, who, who passed, you know, a few years back, mm-hmm. um, he basically produced this band I was in and wow. uh, um, it didn't go anywhere in fact I was in three different what I call make it or break it bands we were trying to you know we'd go out and write the songs do the recordings play in the clubs and, and, and try to get you know people to sign us and the last one was I'm trying to remember <laughs> last one was. it's a long time ago yeah. but anyway that's what I was doing and then it didn't it never worked out we never you know really none of them ever really made it the only band that I played in that um, had a record that that ended up you know charting mm-hmm. was well 
it became the band Mr. Mister. But I was in it when it was called Pages. Wow. Yeah, and they they used a lot of really fine studio drummers. I mean, they used Jeff Picaro and Ralph Humphreys and Mike Baird and Vinny Caliuta. Wow. In fact, I saw Vinny play with them one time. It was really cool. Uh, when it was Mr. He played with them when it was Pages? Pages was yeah. the name of the band. And um, um, it was a great band. It was, it was almost... The music was almost too good to get on the radio. So that's what yeah. that's what I always thought. You yeah, know, it, was yeah. very, it was very much in the Steely Dan gotcha. mode. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very very adventurous. The West Coast version. Of West Coast, yeah. yeah. Version of Steely Dan. West Coast album oriented rock. But um, anyway, you know, that band made it after I left. So <laughs> <laughs> hire me, fire me, you'll be a success. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was at that point that I decided I wanted to try being a studio drummer mm-hmm. uh, because these other guys were coming in and playing on these albums that the producer or the band would hire to play other instruments, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and In the bands that you were a member of. In the band I was time. a member of, and then we'd do the recordings, and they'd bring a few extra people in, you know, to play... You know, guitar. I remember uh, Steve Lukather from Toto played on that Pages album. Wow. wow. And and I'm looking at these guys, and I'm going, these guys are making, like, big bucks today for being here. And, yeah. I'm you know, I'm on the other side betting that this is <laughs> this is going to work. Yeah. You know, yeah, we got some advance money, but that has to be paid back, you know. Right. So um, I ended up getting a, a decent bit of work in L.A., as, as a studio drummer, mainly thanks to Jeff Picaro. Uh, I met him at a recording session, and he actually let me play. It was, it was a demo session for a trumpet player named Sal Marquez, who also was the trumpet player and singer with Frank Zappa. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, we hit it off, even though we didn't become, you know, buddy buddies all the time. But he said, here, call my call my service call my girl at my service and um, I'll let her know who you are and, and she'll um, she'll throw you some work you know it wasn't her throwing me some work it was him so I ended up doing stuff that he turned down wow and it was everything from you know foreign language copies of disco albums you know of Saturday Night Fever Jeff didn't want to do that? no <laughs> and uh, B and C movie soundtracks yeah. there were even a couple of porno sessions you know <laughs> but the main main thing that happened there was that I became a staff drummer um, well I guess I wasn't on staff but they used me all the time at, at uh, Elmo A&M okay. uh, Elmo Music Publishing and I did demos there Constantly, like for uh, about a year. When you say constantly, like what 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 does that entail as far as time? Two or three days a week. Really? Yeah. Okay. You know. Um, tell me about that session where you met Jeff and he asked to you uh, to to go ahead and do the session. How did that come up? <clears throat> um, I had met a man named Jack Dowerty, who was the producer of the Carpenters, who were one of the you know biggest selling groups ever um, this was on A&M mm-hmm. um, he actually hired me to go through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cassette tapes mm-hmm. and he said if you find any songs in there that you think I might like or might you know be worth recording let me know 
Written so, by songwriters, just demos. stuff that you know. Well, he was a huge producer, so he got all sorts. Of, well, okay. he was the guy who produced an album called Class of '71 that was Jeff's first recording that he had ever done, and Jim Keltner was on that record too. And it was just kind of a this is the best of all the studio musicians in in L.A. Mm-hmm. And it was a big band. Kind oh of wow! Thing. Yeah, it was kind of a labor of love for him. But uh, I met him, and he was producing this demo session for Sal Marquez that uh, Jeff and Mike Bracaro was okay. playing bass on yeah. it. And then two of the guys in the band that I was in at the time, uh, Pages, were on this session too. So, you know, it was, it was kind of a connect. Yeah, I see. And uh, it was just a, it was a very light session. You know, it wasn't, yeah. wasn't serious at all. Let's just get this stuff down on tape. I mean, he was writing... Sal was writing silly songs about the... The gas crisis of 1979, you know, <laughs> and disco was in, and pretty much anything, you yeah. know, yeah. you could write a disco song about anything, you know. <laughs> but uh, it was just a, you know, it was a chance meeting. I didn't know he was going to be playing there, you know. And uh, uh, I went over to his house one time, listened to the Toto album that he was working on, and he listened to the Pages album that I was doing, mm-hmm. and. Uh, some of the other guys in Pages had worked with him on different things. Okay. In fact, Richard Page, who the name the band was named okay. after, and Steve George were two very in demand background singers mm. in town. Did a lot of background vocals. Great mm. singers. Mm. Um, but and I, I ran into him a couple of other times, but it wasn't like you know we became you know really really good friends. We just yeah. right you know, right. Knew each other. It's just it, it's a fascinating connection, and just just how that Man, works. It's and, like yeah, as lucky as it gets, right? right. You know, because he was already one of my heroes. Yeah, you yeah, know that that. Okay. Uh, what year was this? Do you remember? Seventy nine. Seventy nine. And the, okay. the Toto album had, had, you know, already come out. Okay. And um, and then and then uh, then about a year year and a half later, you were the staff drummer. 1979 through 1981 is when I did most of the recording in L.A. Yeah. Then I moved up to Santa Barbara to play with um, <clears throat> Jim Messina mm-hmm. uh, and his band. We had it. We had a, we had another little band, you know, that played locally around Santa Barbara when mm-hmm. he was. But I never actually ended up touring with Jim or playing in his band because he fired me. So, <laughs> but he fired a he fired a and lot. And then he became of, successful. No. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he fired a lot of famous drummers, so I, you know it was a good right. club to be in. But, sure. Um, and he and I have played together because he was in Poco. He was one of the founding members of Poco. Okay. But long before Loggins and Messina, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I don't think he's playing on on anything this year that we're doing. But um, anyway. Um, I moved back home shortly after that. I moved up there in 81. I moved back home to Mississippi in 83, 83 mm-hmm. to go through drug rehab. Okay. Yeah. You know, I was there in 79 and 80, man. This was like when, okay. you know, the streets were paved with cocaine. Okay. And, it, you know, it was just... You're answering my question. What, my, what I was going to ask you is what brought you back? What? Why did you leave that scene where you wanted to be, you saw what session players were doing. It's like, how do I do this? I want to do this. Then you got yourself established, 
mm-hmm. then you end up back in Mississippi. Yeah, man, I got you know I got hooked. But I was I was married. Uh, my wife at the time uh, got pregnant, mm-hmm. and um, I just said I need to go on. I need to get out of this. You know, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> so I did. Came back to Mississippi, uh, went through rehab, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, been pretty much clean and serene since then. Yeah. And uh, that is so long ago now. That's like over yeah. over thirty years ago. Right. You know? Right. Wow. That's awesome. But um, and it it actually my career at that point took a different turn because I started a drum shop. I started teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my own band around the area, and I was uh, playing a lot of sessions at Malico Records in Jackson, Mississippi, which at the time was one of the largest independent record companies in in America. Really? Yeah. They were huh. like number three. It was kind of a Motown, Stax, Muscle Shoals, Kind of stu- kind of record company yeah. studio, all, all self-contained. You know, I mean, they put well, the shrink wrap on the records and everything. You know, that's well, that that was kind of a unique thing at the time, wasn't it? Um, what the the, the but everything being in house and doing their own. Well, just like Motown, it was some right. some yeah. It was not everybody was doing it like that, but they've been there for a long time. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, the guy who um, recorded. The first session that I did there when I was 18, earlier on, was James Strout. Oh, wow. And um, I learned so much about studio drumming from him, not not listening to him play, but him coming in and telling me what I was doing wrong. He was he was engineering the session. How did you take that? I mean, after spending time in L.A.? I thought it was great. No, no, this was before then. This was before L.A. Oh, I was excellent. still in high school. Oh, now, okay. I'm kind of backtracking. But okay. Anyway, it was uh, that studio had been around for a long time. They ended up buying Muscle Shoals, where I also worked mm-hmm. uh, a lot. And um, you know, it was I, it was a little pond, and I enjoyed being a big fish. You know, and mm, right, right, right. But uh, do you the, remember anything that you were told that when you'd come in and any advice, like something that clicked? about what you were doing from, in the studio. From James Stroud? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the main thing that he told me, he said, you're playing too many notes, man. You you need to, you need, all these fills you're doing, Yeah. you know, this isn't jazz. You need to, you need, you need to play it really simply. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going, okay. And I was, I was open to it, you know, I mean, because right. he, he, he was uh, very, you know, I already knew he was a great drummer. Right. You know, people talked about him all the time. And, um, <clears throat> I can't ever remember. I can't remember exactly, but just being around him and understanding, yeah. and I wasn't around him that long. Yeah. It was it was just a real quick, you know, little record that we did over a period of days. Okay. But it was my first introduction to the recording business, and I'm going, oh, okay, this is how you do it. This is how it works. Yeah. You know. And you and, had that person there to help you through. That. Yeah. Yeah. That's and fortunate. This band I was in, we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. You know. But people still do that. They, I mean, they still go in. They don't know what they're doing. Right. They hit record, and, and then they, they just go on, and they keep doing the wrong thing or <laughs> doing something that's whatever is, is working or not working. I just sometimes when you get advice or when someone, when you're open to ideas that people bring to the table, 
sometimes somebody will say something to me or I'll hear about something or read about something or hear something and I'm like, it clicks in such a way that it completely changes something about my playing or my approach. Um, I just, I didn't know if there was something like that. Besides, yeah, yeah. I understand, I mean, every up-and-coming young drummer, especially And at recording. that time, you know, when I was 18... Yeah, you're... Every new drummer you heard, you go, oh, this is, you know, this is enlightenment here, this guy, you know, yeah, the, the yeah. drummer for Chicago or, right. you know, whoever you were hearing at the time. Oh, that's so cool, you know, and... and, and you want to do everything. And you, you progress really quick. Right, right. You know, if you have the right opportunities, right, you know. Right. But, yeah, he was, he was uh, I don't think he ever knew how big of a... That's um, cool. ...an effect, you know, yeah. he, had, he had on me just by coming and saying, you know, you're doing it wrong, this is the way you need to do it. yeah. You know, in a, in a very helpful. Did you ever have uh, that experience in LA with anybody else out there, or were you kind of after your meeting with Jeff and moving on? You kind of were on your own. It sounded like you because you had your own sessions there. Yeah, no, I, I you know, I don't know. I, yeah, <laughs> I just I just played. It worked. It worked. You know, I'm sure yeah. there's there's you know I had. You know, suggestions from people going, you know, right, right, chill out here, or right, you know, do this here, or sure. whatever. Um, so after you you moved back, you opened up a drum shop, opened up a drum shop, George's Drum Shop, okay, in Jackson. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> pardon me, I was teaching a lot there, that's where I taught Keith Carlock, yeah, because he's from he's from Clinton, which is a kind of a suburb. And what year was this, 80? He, I think I started teaching him in, probably in 85. Okay. He was only about 13 or 14. Wow. And he was already scary at that point. Jeez. You know. And I remember distinctly one of the, if the first, if not one of the first lessons um, that we had, I said, I'd already heard about him, you know, from one of the other teachers who was teaching him rudimental type stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the lessons I said, "What well, you know? What do you what do you want to what do you want to learn? Mm-hmm. You know what what do you you know what are you listening to? What do you want to learn?" He said, "Well, I'm playing in a Rush tribute band, and I've learned everything that Neil Peart's recorded. This is at 14 now." And he said, "And I'm bored with it. What else is there?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he could, you know, you could tell he he already played. He just said that, oh, that 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 thing. Yeah. You know that you 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 go. Oh, this guy's a natural. He's gonna be, you know, he's gonna be a threat here. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could see it early on, and it, it just that that he was so advanced at that point that you know he could he could read well. He was in a good high school band mm-hmm. or school band system and um, we just it he'd come in and we just listened to you know records we listened to Tony Williams and mm-hmm. Steve Gadd and I would just try to throw stuff at him and I, I remember we were working out of some fairly advanced books and we would just sit down and play together mm. you know and it was um, just a lot of buddy buddy kind of stuff is mm-hmm. you know wasn't, wasn't a typical lesson I was going to it was say, supposed to be a half-hour lesson, and it turned into two hours. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I was going to say, I've done a little bit of teaching off and on over the years. 
And every once in a while, you get that student where uh, it's there's not an obvious place to go. You, you're trying to figure out because they're more advanced, and you're like, how do I approach this situation? So that's kind of how you did it with Keith. You're listening to music. You're trying to expose him because you know that he's a sponge. He's soaking up all this yeah. stuff. Well, by the time he was finishing high school, I remember he came back from college um, after his first or second semester yeah it had to be his first semester and he's playing all this stuff and it the roles reversed they go how do you do that what do you <laughs> show me that uh, yeah <laughs> so you know he was he was um you know yeah he was one of those special students that makes it all worth it you know yeah wow. with teaching yeah that's crazy mm-hmm. um so when how much when did you end up moving to Nashville at that point? 93. Okay. I had, it was, I'd spent 10 years mm-hmm. in Jackson. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a good music scene yeah. in Jackson. There's a good music scene in Mississippi, mm-hmm. period. Right. You know, Mississippi gets a lot of, you know, but so much upset about it. But, sure, you know, but so much American music can be traced back to yeah. this one area. This oh, yeah, area. the Delta, which I played all the time. Yeah. I still go down there and record, you know. Yeah. Um, moved to, I moved in 93 because me and my ex-wife, uh, my wife at the time, we were both musicians, uh-huh. wanted to move to Nashville. It was, you know country music thing was really really happening and I knew that there was more than right. country music happening yeah but in the 90s it was it was big it was big right and and um, I figured I could get a gig with an artist mm-hmm. and I I went up there two or three times just exploring mm-hmm. ended up an old friend was managing Russell's heart mm. and um, he this old friend, Bill Simmons, now manages Brad Paisley. He's done very well. Oh, wow. But he was managing Restless Heart, and uh, their lead singer, Larry Stewart, was going to do his own solo career. He was leaving them, and he did two or three albums, and I got hired as his band leader and put the band together and hired a few guys from Mississippi and a few guys from, from Nashville, and mm-hmm. that was my, you know, I lucked out. I moved mm-hmm. to town with a gig. Okay. You know? Okay. It was quite different from L.A. Just, in what ways? Well, at the time in L.A., the modus operandi was to be in a band. Even if you were a session musician, you were in a band. Mm-hmm. In, in Nashville, you know, 10, 15 years later, you came there to be a... You know, a session guy, an un, you know, uh, an invisible session guy playing on records, or uh, the guy in the back of the stage playing for an artist. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessary to get there and play with a band, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> so it, it was, it was, it was a different atmosphere. And um, I went through the whole thing of trying to, you know, adapt to the Nashville style. You know, you would you would go into sessions and people say, "Can you play like Eddie Bears?" <laughs> sure. You know, and and um, you know, of course, you can't because his right. his style is so distinct. Everybody thinks they can. It they is. think, oh, it's simple. Well, no, it's just deceptively simple. Mm-hmm. The the parts that he would come up. I studied him. Mm. I've met him. We're not great friends or anything, but I studied him. The parts that he came up with, and I think it was because he was 
a piano player. Mm-hmm. And was, right, right. You know, in the beginning, he was approaching it from a different way. He would look at his drum parts as a composition. I don't know if he even knew that he did that, but I could tell that, you know, okay, the the second verse, he's lifted it a little bit by just doing this one thing on the cymbal, you know, or mm-hmm. in the chorus, he added this one thing and he, you know, and he built it. And, and so it wasn't about so much, you know, playing some trick thing. I mean, you know, it's just standard drum parts. It's, it's the personality sure. coming through, the logic mm-hmm. that he would use mm-hmm. and, and what needed to be there, mm-hmm. you know. It's right. almost like you could tell that he would take himself out of the picture and play the drum part that he knew needed to be there that a producer would want to hear on the record. What is the best possible drum part I could play, you know, that that, that works, you know, for this song? I don't know. That's that's what I always thought about him. And he was playing on everything. Right, like, especially he, in the 90s. Yeah, for him sure. and Larry London. Okay. Uh, how did you go about studying? I mean, was it just about sitting down? I mean, I know you said you met him, but... It was transcribing the records. Right. Yeah. Okay, sure. Um, I know in, in years I've written charts for songs that I've had to learn and different things like that, and I could tell. And you learn so much just from transcribing. Yeah. I mean, it, you, you see the value in it and, and why in, in school you're assigned to do those things. But oh, I hated doing it in school. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really learn, you know, the technical end of music until I really started teaching seriously mm. in uh, in Mississippi, and because I was teaching a lot of students, and I was having them transcribe things. Yeah, you know, and I would sit there and correct, you know, their transcriptions, and mm. and um, is that a big part of your teaching? Is having students transcribe? Oh, it's, or? it's different with everybody. Okay. Well, what, what did I make you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you handed me, I think I still have them. We only did two lessons. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, that was enough material to keep me busy uh-huh. <laughs> a long time. Um, I, yeah, I, I think I, I teach reading yeah. and Grooves, how to you know how yeah, to how yeah. to play a solid groove, mm-hmm. and I teach repertoire. Mm. You know, I don't know if we got that that far, but no, I don't think so. Uh, and I, I don't know if repertoire is taught enough, um, just in general. I mean, tell me about what that what that involves. Well, with with me, it started with my students who would get to a certain point, you know, they'd gone through the basic book mm-hmm. and I'm realizing, you know what? Everything that's in this basic book is 95% of what I play when I, when I record or when I play a gig. Mm-hmm. And I would just, um, I had, you know, it's just cassette tape area. Era. I would give them a cassette tape with, you know, 12 songs on it. Okay, we're going to learn this, you know. Mm-hmm. And at first they would, you know, just read them and then I'd have them listen to the song and write their own part. And figure it out that way. Hmm. And the ones that got it, mm-hmm. you could tell how quickly they would advance because they were zeroing in on those notes on that record. Mm-hmm. you know. And when I got to Nashville, I was teaching a lot of pros. I was teaching a lot of guys that were brand new to town. Yeah. 
I'd written, I'd taken the lessons that I was, people would call me and go, um, I have a session tomorrow. I just got here and I don't know the national number system. So I'd, they'd come over to Forks yeah, and I had charts and I had all these notes I'd written. And finally, after teaching so many of those, I, I, uh, had it uh, all laid out in a in a proper book. In fact, Greg Loman was the one who did it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he, he he laid out all that stuff. I can't even remember what program he did it in. But, you know, I never published it. It was, you know, I, I tell everybody my publisher was Kinko's. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so that book got kind of known, and Gary mm-hmm. would keep it on the rack, yep. you know, and... It was I might have a copy, I think. I the National Number System for Drummers, you know. Yeah. It was just my notes and... Yeah. Um, but I, I taught a lot of those guys and they would come in and they, you know, they would learn that and then they come back for another lesson. They could obviously play, you know, well, you know, what do you want to learn? Do you want to learn a bunch of drum shit mm-hmm. or do you want to learn what you need to learn to, you know, to work in this town? Yeah. And inevitably what I would say is you need to learn a bunch of songs. And I had a list. It was two or three hundred songs. Mm. It was... Stuff that was being played, you know, downtown. Um, I don't know stuff on the radio, and it was everything from country to rock. But you know, I said this: this is your stock and trade right here. This is what you do. This is your product that mm-hmm. you deliver. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, this is why you need to know that. And within the songs that they learned, was there something that this is like for the established player, and like somebody who came in? You're like, okay, they obviously can play. Here's the material you need to learn. But what were maybe some of the things within that context? You say, okay, and when you're playing this, maybe there, you, you need to keep this in mind. Or was there maybe a common uh, issue that some of these more established, well, maybe young players, but you, you could tell that they were, they had the skills, but there was maybe always something. Maybe there was a timing issue, it was a pocket issue. It was, uh, it was pocket yeah. stuff, you know. It was, okay. it, it was like a player would come in who, who was working. You know, he's he's a working drum, mm-hmm. but he's playing every song. You get a gold coin every time you say that working drummer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so far, we're up to two points. No, it's <laughs> little gold coins, little gold stars. <laughs> um, they would play every song with their own groove, which would in would a lot of times would be very limited, mm-hmm. and so I would try to get them to understand that you know you have to you have to cop the feel mm-hmm. on this song you need mm-hmm. to understand you know is is it a right on the beat song or is mm-hmm. it more laid back behind the beat and what does that mean actually you know that's a hard thing to explain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um anyway that that's that had a lot to do with it i had a um a week-long what I called intensive that I would do that guys would come in and they would work for me, work with me. I would work with them four hours a day, two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon. Then I would make them go out and sit in in at jam sessions around town. Wow. You know, a lot of them didn't want to do it. I said, get up there, man. Just, just do it. You need to get up there and fail right now. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're never going to get this. Not that all of them failed, but you yeah. know, um, a, a lot of them, Got it, you know, and it scared a lot of people away. I had guys come into town and go, oh, I don't want to do this, you know. Mm, interesting. I'm, I'm fine where I am, back in my hometown. Yeah, you know, yeah. which is good too. You know, 
because being in front of people in that performance, I mean, that is a whole different, you can sound, I, I, I always joke, I said, man, you should have heard me in my practice room. I killed it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was um, not so much playing in front of people because most of these guys, there were a few amateurs, but most of these guys had been playing for a while in their hometowns. Okay. But they come to Nashville and they're sitting in with these hot shot players. They've yeah. never played with anybody that, that that's on that level. Mm-hmm. That are, that are you know they're playing very clean mm-hmm. and you know you can you can tell that they really know what they're doing. Yeah. And a lot of these guys would it would show up. What okay. you know, where they were, you know, mm-hmm. they they could they could tell that they were either dragging behind or rushing, mm-hmm. and when they rushed, those guys didn't move, right? <laughs> you know, right? And or they would get you know the eye from yeah. somebody on stage and like, oh man, you know, yeah. I got a little bit more to do before I try to move here, right? Right. But uh, you know, I know you've got another question you want to ask me, but there's one no. one thing that no. I, I want to. Um, kind of hark on, which is um, a lot of people moving to town go, you know, uh, how, do, how is it done in Nashville? Uh-huh. And my answer is, I don't know. <laughs> and, and also... Great. thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> Appreciate your time. <laughs> See you later, man. <laughs> and if somebody tells you this is the way it's done in Nashville, turn around and run the other way. Yeah. Because they're just telling you how it was for them. And, and everybody has a different experience. There are some things in common. Yeah. But, um, you know, to me, I think what everybody ends up doing that stays here is they, they find the people who like what they are doing. Yeah. And they find the niche that they fit in. It might not have been... You know what they wanted to do. No, you're you're not getting the gig with you know Brad Paisley or the next bad Brad Paisley, mm-hmm. and um, you know no, you're not going to be you know in the in the A team. You know, well some guys might, but you know for most of us, it's right. you know no, you're not going to do that. You know, you're going to end up playing in a a contemporary Christian band. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're going on the road, or you're you're ending up playing jazz gigs in Nashville. You know, mm-hmm. and I tried to play that game when I first moved here of, of trying to fit in, change my playing to make it, you know. Was that kind of an incentive to, to study Eddie Bears? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to figure out, you know, what everybody was doing. I mean, because when I was in L.A., the people that I were, was copying were, you know, Jeff Beccaro and, yeah. you know, the L.A. drummers. Right. You know, that was just my influence at the time. But um, I, I, I tell everybody, if you, if you can get here and you can last for six months to a year, mm-hmm. you're here. Yeah. You know, most people who, who get here and have to, have to leave for one reason or another, yeah. you know, uh, it, it means that, you know, this might not be the place for you because it's a, it's a big pond yeah. and there's a lot of little fish. And all those little fish are—they're great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then above them are the big fish, who are the very great. Yeah. You know, but the the mediocre, and the you know the ones that aren't quite cutting it, you know, they're not they're not going to last here very long. But uh, it's very—you make a very interesting point where you find people that enjoy doing what you do. They they they're drawn to your style. 
They're drawn right. to uh, something about your style, your they playing. Like, they like you way. for what you were playing. Right. You know? Right. And um, my, personally, my criteria for, for working with people most of the time is, is, is the singer great? Mm. I want to play with great singers because I figured out early on that the great singers get the great musicians. They get the record deals. They get the great musicians. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was, I think that's what got me into a lot of really good situations. Wow. You know, it was that's just... That's a really yeah. cool point. Yeah. Yeah. I feel fortunate that I, with some good singers. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting point. I never thought of that yeah. before, but I mean, yeah. It's it just so important, you know, right. unless it's an instrumental thing, but... Yeah, you know, but, yeah. How have how have you seen things change? And I know that you moved away from that. I don't know if you want to kind of yeah, go to that. That's the next in the timeline, or what we're talking about. <laughs> but you did move away. Well, I don't think mine is a line. <laughs> I think mine is a, a an up and down graph with a lot of gaps. You know, but um, now I moved to Ohio after yeah. two thousand one. All my work stopped in two thousand one. It just came to a screeching halt. We were talking about that before we recorded. Tell me more about that real quick. Well, I I had touring gigs. Yeah. You know, I I did a, um, gosh, touring gigs with um, artists for, what, seven or eight years. Yeah. I had students. I was recording. Yeah. Demos and, and, you know, name artists, especially down in Muscle Shoals. I never did get into master's. In Nashville, I ended up being hired at Muscle Shoals a lot to play on blues albums. I had um, one I used to practice along with that you had recorded in Muscle Shoals. Really? Yeah. What was that? I, I, it's been so long ago, I don't remember. Huh. I, have to, I don't even know if I still have it in my... I was working I, with all these old blues greats like Bobby Blue Bland and yeah. Little Milton Campbell. And, mm-hmm. uh, of course, that was a great studio, and I was getting to play with the Muscle Shoals rhythm section. Yeah. Yeah, and this was this is while you were living in Nashville. Yeah, this was around ninety eight, ninety nine. Um, um, Roger Hawkins, who was the mm-hmm. original drummer, had uh, been experiencing some difficulty with his hearing, mm. to the point that he could he didn't. It was painful for him to play. Wow. Yeah, um, <clears throat> and uh, he he quit he quit playing. You know, mm. and he was one he was one of my. You know, idols. Yeah, I mean, amazing. Some of the player. first records I ever learned how to play, he played on. You know, yeah. "Land of a Thousand Dances" by Wilson Pickett. You know, I mean, uh, this guy played on all that mm-hmm. stuff. So I got to play with the guys that he played with. You know? and Muscle Shoals is two hours south. You know? Yeah, and yeah. Um, I did a lot of records down there. I still say records. I don't. I, I refuse to say CDs or downloads. <laughs> I know. They're still records. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, my son and I were just talking about that yesterday. I said, you know, I think there's this younger generation, very young, uh, up until probably um, early to mid-20s, that says records. And then there's from like 35 on up that says records. Because there's just been this resurgence, resurgence of vinyl. Yeah. Plus their parents talk about records. Then there's this middle period where they don't, they say they don't say records as much, but he says records, you know. We pressed vinyl for the last Poco album. Right. We sold a lot of them. It was cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think most people just wanted it for the album cover. 
you know, right. <laughs> for the art, you know. Yeah. But um, you were you were asking me earlier about you know what I taught yes. these guys when in lessons. What what you taught. Um, what you would consider uh, maybe more established players, uh, not necessarily, but 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 not beginners. Yeah, the the established players, and I I think everybody should continue to study. I mean, it really, it's it. You might not think you need it now, but later on, after whatever the you know nice little role you're on, mm-hmm. whoever's hiring you and everything, you know, well, I know enough. You know, yeah. to do what I need to do, yeah. all gigs end, and yeah. you don't know if you have the tools to do the next one. You know, right, right. Let's check and make sure it's working. okay. Yeah. Um. I, I was, I still take lessons. Um, I studied. Uh, I took a couple of lessons from Chester Thompson for wow, a while, cool. and a lot of my stuff is just self-study. I'm just t- taking things. On you know CDs that I don't know how to do, try to figure out how to do it, and it's easier these days with YouTube, right? Because all the monsters are on there, right? But what I do with with the pros is I try to find. I mean, these guys can play, you mm-hmm. know, and they've got a lot of chops, and they're getting gigs, and they're mm-hmm. you know they're top level, right? I try to find the little holes, technique wise, sticking wise. Um, you know th- that kind of technical stuff in their playing that I see, and I go, you know, hey, check this out. Play, you know, try this. You know, this this is kind of similar to what you're doing here, but it's another step, you know, to the left, and and you can it allows you to do this. You know, and so mm-hmm. I, I I try to find those technical holes that they might not have filled yet that right. they would enjoy. Yes. Practicing. Yes. You know, you see what I mean. Yes. It's hard to explain. <laughs> well, no, I understand what you're saying because uh, I've been struggling with that as well. Um, it's been a long time since I've had any private lessons, but I feel, uh, and I know that not everybody's on the same page with this, but um, one of the reasons why I wanted to play uh, professionally is so that I could play all the time and so I could practice my craft. Mm-hmm. And part of practicing your craft is growing. Um, and and just building upon what you've established, or or re- constantly reinventing yourself, mm-hmm. and I think that's part of enjoying music and part of enjoying the instrument itself. Um, a lot of these guys get stuck in a rut. Well, and that's you know, that's it's not it's, that they don't want to progress. It's just what do I do? You know, I'm I'm doing the same thing over and over and over. And if again. you're working with maybe uh, one artist or a few number of, uh, of artists, uh, or in a band situation, you have uh, only uh, a laundry list of things that you need to have together to right. accomplish the gig. And, and you're only playing twenty songs. Yeah. You know, every night. Right. So. Right. And um, I that, act more like a. One guy told me I, uh, that I act like a coach. You know, uh, okay. or, or a personal trainer, you know, yes. something like that. So, you know, it's not like these guys have to learn this stuff. It's not yeah. like you know, you've already you've already got enough to do what you need to do. Right. It's right. Just, this will make you, you know, it's, it's but it's keep you sharp. Right. <laughs> but uh, when uh, when we had got together, uh, maybe what twelve years ago or so, and you were, you know, I didn't have YouTube. I didn't have a lot of that stuff to access. Right. 
So if somebody was to approach, how do you, have you changed your approach knowing that these people have all these other things to access as far as online, like as a coach and you saying, okay, check this out or I have this, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, is your teaching different in the current, with current technology? And My teaching is different. I think that this, this, the younger students yeah. that I get, their whole world is different. Yeah. They're hearing these guys playing these monster chops. You know, I mean, they're stand, these guys on YouTube that you see, you go, oh, how's he doing that? You know, he's, he's eight. <laughs> right. You know, or he's, right. you know, and, and um, it's, it's a lot of very complex, fast, mm-hmm. busy stuff. Yeah. You know, and they're standing on the shoulders of giants. My generation, you know, couldn't do that stuff. But every generation mm-hmm. gets better and better and better, mm-hmm. you know, or I wouldn't say better. It's just, you know, they, they build on what came, you know, came before them. And I'm not in tune with a lot of that. Hmm. But I so I a lot of the stuff that I teach is it's old school stuff because that's what I am. I'm old school. Sure. You know. Well, this and this may come from more of a personal perspective, but I, I see stuff online and I see people doing these insane chops. But it, when I see that part of me, the drums, you know, the, the drum brain is going, "Wow, that's really cool." Yeah. But then I'm thinking, okay, what do I need to do to get ready for the gig tomorrow? Yeah. Well, it's not this. And so I guess it just makes me wonder what are young players they're seeing this and and, and is it is it is it relevant to to the work that they're going to be playing down the road? I, I don't know if it is. I mean, depends on what kind of gig they're looking for, but for me, uh you know like it, it's it's you were talking about pocket and two and four. You know, it's like those are the things that have kept me busy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear you know guys online on Facebook or one of the forums or something go check out the groove on this thing and, and you and you listen to it and you go wow that's heavy metal man there's no groove in there right right <laughs> there's precision yes yeah yeah you know, but that's not a groove right yeah. right <laughs> you know that's, misusing the the word yeah. yeah but I think the reason for that phenomenon of of the you know very complex playing which is which is great I mean it's, yeah. it's it's fun to listen to I don't do it I can't do it you know I was just never that do you ever have dancing. a player come in like a student that, that you know I've got this double oh, kick thing that and, and how I've do you... got a 17 year old yeah. who could be another Keith Carlock oh yeah yeah wow. he's it, it's he's it's gotten to the point where I'm I'm going you know how on earth is he doing this you know and, and why and <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, Dominic Barcazzi okay, is his name, and he's just you know, he's he's scary. I'm actually not teaching him right now, but I taught him for a little while, and um, he's now playing guitar and singing, fronting his own band. You know, it's just wow, it's unbelievably super talented. The whole family is okay, and uh, <clears throat> I really hope you know that he goes places, but. I think they have so much more input. I mean, when I was growing up, when I was in my teens, yeah, you know, you didn't, you couldn't go 
somewhere and hear drum solos all day long. You had to wait till they came on TV. Yeah. To yeah. see some guy, you know, and and, and if you missed and it, ho- and if you you know, hopefully figure it out <laughs> while he's doing it right there. There's no such thing as a playback, you know. Yeah, yeah. Of course, there were records, yeah, and everything, but you couldn't see people doing that, you know. <laughs> and so now there's there's all this input that is readily available, yes. you know, and I, and and a lot of it is the really complex drumming, and it's I think you know a lot of it is is show off. It mm-hmm. is. A right. lot of it's not, but, you know, a lot of it is. It's just, you know, look at this guy, man. He's tearing this other guy up, you know. Well, right. You shouldn't buy into the, the competition thing. Yeah, and I know it's not all that. I mean, there's there's some incredible uh, um, YouTube video of, like, Brady Blade playing something, and it's just so groovy. It's so great. Yeah, and, I'm and, you know, it's personal personal preference, too. I mean, right. I'm not trying to put down, you know, metal music, because, shoot, I can't do it. You know, yeah. and um, a lot of that is relevant. But at some point, everybody has to choose, you know, what they like and what they are going to play and what they are not going to play. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, and who who are they going to um, pattern themselves after? You know, I ran into a roadblock personally when <clears throat> when I was I was working so much when in my twenties. And I was hearing Vinnie Colaiuta and all these other guys that had, that had studied with Gary Chafee yeah. in, in Berkeley doing all this stuff based on his system of, of you know, uh, different uh, numbered note figures and, and everything. And it's, I mean, it's definitely a, a, a system that works, especially for those guys. Mm-hmm. It did not work for me. I came up as a, as a very old-school, rudimental player. Mm. And it, it never took with me. I understood what they were doing. In fact, I had a couple of students that went to Berkeley uh, after they worked with me and came back and, and they were playing all this stuff. And they went, well, that's a five and that's a three. And I go, you know, what are you talking about? And the thing is, is there are many, many different systems. That's just mm-hmm. one of the most mm-hmm. popular ones, mm-hmm. you know, and one of the most well-established. And yeah, there's a lot of great players that study with him. But it, it was then, I think probably around when I was 30 and really starting to teach that I said, you know what, I need to figure out what what I do well, you know, and mm-hmm. what, right. and, you know, what I sound like. Right. And I don't, I don't want to actually have to be thinking about all this technical stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I, so, you know. But still, I've heard you play technical things. Yeah, I can, I can, I can do yeah. a lot of that. But it's you know. Well, technically, in a musical sense, I mean, I hear it, it's it's working, and I think to me, if if you're established musically, you understand what's going on, then you can apply. I think that's the thing. If you can play technically, that's one. But if you know when to use it and when not to use it, that's kind of the yeah. big, the big thing. I mean, it's kind of like, um, you know. Having a Ferrari, most of the time you're going to go 35. Right. That's, the, that's, the, speed <laughs> that's the speed limit. That's your gig. Yeah. Right there, you know. But it's yeah. nice to have that stuff if you can yeah. pull it out. But, you know, it's not, I don't, I don't have super chops or anything. You know, it's funny you're talking about uh, YouTube access to playback and all these things that we have now or that, you know, up and coming players have uh, now access to. Uh, when my son first started playing saxophone, we went out and got a bunch of records. And, um, some used records and I have uh, a Dave Brubeck record that we would play and um, 
the drummer, Mel. Oh, Dave Brubeck? Yeah. Um, Joe Morello. Joe Morello. Mm-hmm. I'm saying Mel and threw me on. Joe Morello. So there's a awesome, it's not take five, it's another solo, but he's, it's very rudimentary, uh, mm-hmm. uh, rudiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and few based and few yeah. solo. I just I love it. It's so clean. It's so so when his solo comes on uh, on on the record, it skips all over the place. And I know why it skips all over the place because whoever owned it played that solo <laughs> over and over and over again to try and figure out what the hell he was doing. Lift and, the needle, put it back. Yeah, yeah, and it's like what I I've been waiting. I want to hear this solo, and it keeps skipping. Oh, I know why it's skipping. Yeah. Because whoever owned this was figuring it out yeah. and wore that out. That mm-hmm. little space on the record wore it out. And I was like, I understand why. And there's probably cassette tapes out there that are stretched right there. <laughs> <laughs> Those are coming back, by the way. Cassette tapes? Yeah, they go. you, you buy a pair of skinny jeans, and you get a cassette tape. <laughs> the hipsters are into it. Oh my God. Kind of more of a personal question. I, I love Mose Allison. <laughs> and, and he was on your list of yeah, people that I, you've worked with. I played with, with Mose a few times. Yeah, what was that like? It was. Um, one of the more interesting gigs I ever did. I love his stuff. I mean, yeah. anybody that's familiar with Mose Allison knows that he's a he writes these really unusual, clever blues lyrics. They're blues songs for the most part. Mm-hmm. But his piano sellers are just out in space jazz. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> you is. know, and Very it's a nice neat set. combination. Yeah, it really know? is. Well, the first gig I did with him was uh, was in Jackson, in my hometown, mm-hmm. um, with a bass player friend that I'd known since the fifth grade named Ralph Sims. And uh, Mose comes in, and he's we already know that he's very well known as as a character, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and and an elusive person. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so he comes in and goes, well, I you know here's here's the bass book. He says, I'm going to give you the bass rap. He said, uh, you know, just follow the changes through the song. And then um, when I play my solo, you can either try to follow me or you can just hang on the one. (laughs) I can see it in Ralph's eyes going, okay. So, because he plays, Molly's plays some very, you know, there's a lot of discord in his playing. Uh And and, uh, then he said, well, here's the drum rap. He said... No hi hat on two and four, and no cross stick. And I'm like, holy shit! What am I gonna do? <laughs> you know, it's not like somebody coming and going. Okay, I want you to completely change your playing and forget everything you ever learned. You know, to play this one gig. And so it made you know, I, I got it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And, but it was three gigs later, years later. I mean, I'd probably play with him every year when he would come to town. I think I played a couple times with him in Jackson and one time in Oxford. Um. I finally, he's, he's, he, he walks in the door and goes to the piano and starts the show, and then he walks out and leaves. You know, he doesn't like to, to deal with the public too much. Okay. Especially people in Mississippi who know all the, the uh, stories about him being an Ole Miss and, you know, doing weird stuff. <laughs> but I, I finally cornered him at the bar one time in this club we were playing at. I said, Muzz. Can you explain the whole 
hi-hat and cross-stick thing. Uh-huh. Right. He said, he said, he said, oh yeah, man. He said, it's, it's, it's so simple. He said, my, my music is ethnic music and it's, it's black music. Yeah, I'm a white guy, but it's, it's black music. Uh-huh. And, um, the hi-hat on two, four and the cross-stick, that's, that's the white man's invention that they, they came up for, you know, foxtrots and, um, you know, uh, commercial music. He said, I don't do that. I said, I don't, I don't want, you know, anything on two and four. I want points in my music. So he said, everything's on the one. It's <laughs> like, so, okay. You know, then I figured out from that point, then instead of playing hi-hat yeah. on two and four, you put- I just played in all the quarter notes. Huh. You know, he wanted me to play more outside, you know, than his records. Like Tony Williams kind of thing, maybe. Huh? Yeah, I guess so, you know. But, um, um, you know, he kept calling me back, so I guess he liked what I did. Yeah. And there was there was a solo, drum solo in almost every song, and I was not expecting that. He would do a bass solo, then a drum solo. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'd forget and hit that cross stick, oh, yeah. side stick, and he'd give me the evil eye, man. Like, no, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Wow, that's awesome, man. But I had to listen to his stuff all the time, man. He's yeah. just it's just really cool He's stuff. It's really cool, man. Your molecular structure and um oh gosh, some of those, you know I had some stuff on cassette tape. Middle class white boy. <laughs> I heard a great interview with him not too long ago and um I have uh I think I have a greatest hits on vinyl, which is really awesome. Um I know one of the last things I want to talk about is kinda of like what you're doing, like, which, what's going on with you now? What, where people can go to find out more about uh, things that are going on, either with Poco or Not So Modern Drummer, or the drum show uh, that you do. Um, kind of just a way to, for people to kind of like seek out more stuff. Um, well, there's self promotion. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. um, there's Poco Nut. Dot com. That's Poco's okay. site. Yeah. And uh, NotSoModernDrummer.com has links yeah. to all the other things that are associated with with the, the drum show and the snare drum Olympics and okay. that kind of thing. And um, I have a website, but it really stinks. But that's where you, <laughs> you saw it. I mean, it's one I did myself, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I shouldn't be designing websites. Yeah. But... Um, it's got my bio and my contact information on it. You know, if people want to come, you know, study with me or hire me or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, that's another thing I wanted to talk about really quick. Sure, man. Is that people who have not had a, had a career in drumming or, or, or who are outside music or guys that are in their hometown, you know, thinking, oh, he's, he's in Nashville. He's made it great, you know. I don't think they understand what the reality of, you know, being a, a lifelong working drummer is. Is like, there's a lot of ups and there's a lot of downs, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. and most of us, unless you're one of the very fortunate few who just works constantly for the whole life, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's dry times. Yeah, you know, and it it it's it's hard to explain to people, you know, what. What are you doing, man? We're, you know, we're, we're, uh, you're touring. Well, touring means getting on a plane and, you know, going out for two nights and then coming back. Right. Oh, I thought y'all were on a tour. 
<laughs> right. you know, or, you know, um, who are you recording with this week? No, I haven't recorded anybody in six months. You know, mm-hmm. really, what's what's wrong? Mm-hmm. Well, nothing's wrong. This is normal. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It's feast or famine yeah. sometimes. Or, you know, or why are you teaching? Or why are you playing a cover gig? Well, you you do whatever is available yeah. at that point. And I... the. It bugged me for years because my career's been through a lot of ups and downs. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of failed record contracts, the drug rehab thing. When I started feeling okay about this was, I'm trying to remember when it was. I think it was after 9-11. And, you know, mm-hmm. the whole the whole music industry just shut down for a couple of months. You know, everybody got scared. Mm-hmm. I, all of my work just stopped, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading something later. Um, I think it was it was in an interview with Eddie Beggers, mm-hmm. and he said something to the effect of, "You know, please call me. I always need work. I'll go do demos. You know." And I'm going, "Okay, it's not just me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, how high up you get, there's always going to be those downtimes which, which give you a lot of self doubt and." You know, and you and you have to, you know, work through that, mm-hmm. and you know that's that's why that's why you take every little thing that comes along, unless it's bad music, you know, yeah, you know every yeah. little gig that comes along because those are going to lead to more, yeah, you know. Well, that. and I subscribe to that as well, and I know I have some friends that I, I really uh, adore that do not. And, um, I mean, I respect them a lot, but they say, I won't do this and I won't do that. I will be known as this type of player, this type of worker in this environment. And I'm like, I I just don't buy into that. I love music too much. I also feel like, um, oh, there's, I've got stories, uh, on this podcast we've talked about with, uh, one person playing this pickup gig. Uh, they didn't know anything about it. They were almost turned it down. And then they just happened to meet somebody on that gig that led to boom, 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 onto this other stuff. And it's like, it can be done. And I think that's what scares me about having an off night or not playing well and saying, ah, I could have missed an opportunity. I mean, going back to, you know, when you... The only thing that I've actually excluded doing a lot of is is playing downtown uh, for two very practical reasons. Um, number one, for us drummers, I mean, I'm, I'm 61 now. It's not like I'm super old or anything, but it's a very physical instrument. Yeah. And as you get older, it gets harder and harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and down there, you play four hours straight. Sometimes right. you don't get a break. The other thing is, is I got to pee every <laughs> every 45 minutes like clockwork. Well, you're doing great right now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, and you know it, it just doesn't work for me yeah. and I'm not in love with the music that's going on down there it's actually become more of a tourist thing yeah uh, there used to be a lot of nice you know hot bands mm-hmm. jam sessions and mm-hmm. things like that I just don't see that much of that anymore but it is a lot of work down there it is and it's yeah. it's a good thing especially for guys new to town you know yeah. go down there get known start working yeah you know? Right. I think it's, it has. I think it has pros and cons. I I, I don't yeah. have any strong opinions about it. I've had some good success down there as far as making money and meeting some really great players, mm-hmm. um, but I've never spent an insane amount of time there back to back. It's been a good place for me to go. I don't swear it off. Yeah. 
but also see the, 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 the when I was playing with a lot of what I call bus artists would mm-hmm. be out on tour sure. in the winter when you're off it's like yeah you go downtown that's where you see everybody and mm-hmm. you go play gigs and you go to these jam mm-hmm. sessions and mm-hmm. uh, you know play Broadway and that's where you find out about what's happening with the touring business mm-hmm. I'm not in the touring business anymore I've been with the same band for 12 years yeah. and this is a pretty cut and dried thing you know awesome. I don't have to worry about too much about next year yeah yeah and um, I just I've not had the necessity, you know, to go there. And I'm being a bit of a snob now, man. I'm I'm playing music that I want to play. Sure. And you've you know, got to, man. Isn't that the end goal at some point? I mean, I you mean, can't go through. Well, you know, most guys think, well, you know, you're a Nashville, you play country music. No, I no. try to I try to avoid it as much as possible <laughs> because only about twenty percent of it is is really really good. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> you know? Sure. about one thing we were we were talking about you know up and down times yeah um i'm going to just use this as an example i had a um a guy who was fairly new to town mm-hmm. um and i'm not going to say his name he knows who he is he called me um you know going through a little freak out about work you know not having work he's married he's got a um, a baby mm-hmm. and he's getting um, good gigs, and he's a great drummer. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he's he's got a really robust personality, mm-hmm. you know. And and um, you know, he he called me, and I talked to him for probably an hour and a half, just just going, man, you're you're a great drummer. Don't worry about it. This is normal, you know. Get through it. And you know, I've fallen into this whole thing. I've always been very involved in whatever drumming community. Yes, I was in. I've just always dug it. It's not that you have been. Yeah. I've not. I've never wanted to be famous or anything. I just I like to be involved with what's going on mm-hmm. with you know with all the drummers. Mm-hmm. I just like people, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I've had some people, you know, come to me to mentor them, mm-hmm. you know. And I have some people that I've never even taught. They just call me like. Once yeah. a month and go, hey man, what do I do about this? You know, and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's not like I I know everything there is to know, but I'm I'm willing to listen. You know, oh and yeah, I, and I, for and, sure. You know, for a long time, especially in the beginning, I thought of as being just a little bit. I don't know what would what would be the word. You know, a little bit forward. You know, mm-hmm. to to brand myself as such but I've gotten used to the idea and I've had enough people tell me you know you know you do this well mm-hmm. and um, I don't even know what you call it you know it's just I've, I've always just you know in, enjoyed the you know helping people I guess and I think yeah. I got that from my father who okay. was, was a minister okay you know? oh. so <clears throat> you know I do that and I consider it a big part of my career you know yeah yeah you know? So, oh, but that person that called you, that that was, you helped kind of... Well... 
Yeah, and I, I think explain what he's going through. As, yeah, you know, this is normal. Relax, and do you know what they're doing now, or how that turned out? Uh, I really don't. I really don't. Yeah. I, have, I have no doubt whatsoever that he, you know, ended up probably getting a gig twenty four hours later or something. You yeah. know, but he's very, very worried about it. You know, yeah. and that's that's very normal to go through. And I think a lot of guys are scared to. Tell somebody else, you know, hey, I need work. You know, I'm, I'm, um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm having a hard time here. I need, you know, mm -hmm. I need something to happen now. Can somebody hire me? Yeah, you, know, yeah, you call yeah. me for a sub. I still do that. It's yeah, like, you yeah, know, yeah. I didn't get rich at this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I still got to pay the rent. You know, right, right, right. But um, you know, it's 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 part of it, and right. you know. You you, you, just, you don't want to be scared to talk to other people about it. It's a very normal point. But that support is there now, especially with the Facebook thing. I mean, we've got over a thousand drummers in this Nashville Drummers mm -hmm. Facebook group. Yeah. Are you on that? I I don't know if I, I am. I need to add you if you're not. Okay. Yeah. I need to check and see. Um, the Facebook thing is, is very... Uh, uh, this is not so much part of this, but uh, it's... Like I have a kind of love hate relationship with it. Yeah. And you did something I think that I still need to consider. You were like, but now, but I, I I'm on it now to promote. To mm -hmm. help. I feel more comfortable promoting. Well, and you know what? This might be related to what you're talking about. I have a hard time promoting myself and my gigs and what I'm doing and where on Facebook. I um, and. When I see that you were playing with Steve Rutledge, I was like, oh, that's cool. I, I like to know those things. Yeah. And I think I have this fear of looking like the person that drives me crazy that I have to block because every five minutes they're posting where they're playing and what they're doing. And I want to know, because of the drumming community, because of the music community, what people are doing and where and supporting all that. I get that. But I think it's finding that balance for me that I don't want to wear people out. It's like, uh, yeah, I'm a proud father, extremely proud father, and I will show you pictures of my kids, but <laughs> I also know that I can easily slip into that. And look at this, and look at this, and here's baby pictures. And people are like, dude, you need to give it a rest. And I feel like that sometimes. I don't want to slip into that. I'm struggling with that currently. But with with the podcast, I'm happy to post something every other day. Mm -hmm. For people that are liking that artist page, that our, our page that we've started, because they're interested in what we're doing. They've said, yes, we want to know what's going on. We want to know who your next interview is and when the next podcast is coming out and pictures and all this stuff. And I don't feel like it's promoting me. I feel like it's promoting the next person that we're interviewing and maybe a little bit of what Mike mm -hmm. and I are doing. But really, it's about the established community and bringing, trying to bring people together as it is with the 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 page that you have so i don't know i struggle with that well i mean this thing that you're doing man it's deep i mean mm -hmm. i've been in interviews and i've seen interviews I actually hired some people to do interviews before where they interjected themselves too much into the interview but the thing is is what what you're doing mm -hmm. is very appropriate because okay. you're talking about you know it's it's a, it's more of a conversation and and well, it's a conversation that a lot of people would like to have with another drummer. 
you right. know, to pick their brain and go, you know, what about this, man? I don't know that, you know. I know. And a lot of people are scared to say that I don't know that. You know, <laughs> one of the funniest things, when I first moved to town, I was really worried about, you know, what to do, how to act, you know. Mm-hmm. And I called uh, uh, an old friend of mine, um, Bucky Barrett, great guitar player. He played with Roy Orbison. Uh, wow. Just, you know, he's still in Nashville. <laughs> uh, I said, you know, um, hey, man, what are, you know, what's going on? What's the haps? What do I need to do? He said, well, listen, man, just make sure, you know, you need to hire somebody to mow your grass. You don't want anybody to see you mowing your own lawn what? because then they'll know that you're not working. <laughs> Come on. No, 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 no. You know, so there's a, you know, there's a lot of people that, that post stuff on Facebook. You know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Yeah. Yeah, some people abuse it and they just do it too much. I, I've tried to find a balance with my personal Facebook page where, I don't know, every couple of days I post one thing. And sometimes it's just silly, you know, right, right, right. stupid stuff. But I do post, you know, where, where I'm going to be playing. And where I get really busy is in the, the drumming Facebook groups, yeah, because they think that's appropriate. That's why people are going there. It's the watering. Over well, that's kind of where I'm feeling like that. Yeah, uh, I don't have an artist page like a couple of buddies of mine do, and I think that 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 is a really smart. Well, thing. yeah, in the in the Facebook groups, there's you know, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of talk, and you know, people say, well, what do you think about this? And I, you know, I give my opinion. And the thing is, is in the Facebook groups, especially this one with the National Drummers, mm-hmm. you know, some of the guys are going, ah. Lawrence, he thinks he knows everything, you know. The other guys are going, "Oh, that's great," you know. So, but that's the way it is, right? You know, some people are going to dig what you say about something, and yeah. you know, and I try. I know I do, but I try not to come off as pontificating, you know. <laughs> yes, but 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 at the same time, there's a reason why I called you. You know, it's like there. I I feel like I feel like everybody we've talked to, and I don't see any end in sight of has had really great things and relevant things to say. It may not strike a chord with everybody. But yeah, if we can get into the conversation, and like I said, I admit, admitted before, uh, all the podcasts that I've sub- subscribed to up to recently had very little to do with, or nothing to do with music, let right. alone drumming. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just it's just conversation, and it's stuff, it's just about life. Well... This is just what we happen to We're all, as working drummers, we're working because we're paying bills and we're trying yeah. to juggle so much that life has to offer. You know, in that respect, I think I am probably, in some ways, the most typical working drummer there could be. In that You're the poster child. Hmm? You're the poster child. For- <laughs> poster child. <laughs> <laughs> Drop a dime in the can. Um, <laughs> I just, you know, I, I consider myself um, a lucky hack. You know, I, I know what, you know, I can I can get work and it just, it changes all the time. And, and you know. Um, I, I don't know, man. On top of that, you have, I mean, quite an impressive list of people that you've worked with and recorded. And, and so, I mean, you, there's this insane uh, balance between all that stuff that you've done. Well, I think I just, I lucked into the niche of people that, you know, that like what I do. Yeah. But, uh, there's there's some drummers who um, they don't want to deal with other drummers at all, and that's and I know some, I mean some great ones who just don't want to hear from other drummers. You know, mm-hmm. I asked, um, oh I can't remember, I can't 
can't remember his name right off the bat, but he plays with Paul Simon. He plays drums and guitar at the same time. Oh, remember. He's a great groove drummer. And I met him through a friend of mine. And I said, man, you need to join our, our Facebook group. He said, oh, no, man. I, I don't do that. I don't want to hang out with drummers. <laughs> but we'll, he'll uh, email me very rarely about, you know, hey, I'm trying, you know, I'm thinking about buying this set or I'm selling this set or... Yeah. You know, some some of that, you know, horse trading stuff. But, you know, that's the way some people are, and it works for them. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think it can be intimidating sometimes, especially if I have a good friend of mine and, and who I want to go see, and then they're just they're just killing it. And I'm just like, it makes me, you know, I struggle with that. But it's like, no, this is good. This is a part of the... So I, I sometimes I get that. But I think also... Characteristically, the drumming community is so open and has such yeah. a good thing compared to so many other other players and this, other musicians. This one, well, drum, drumming communities in general, but this one in Nashville is exceptional. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, you know because yeah, yeah. very supportive. Gigs are flying around in there, and everybody's yeah. helping each other. And yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. Just one other thing I wanted to mention. Yeah. Both my kids are drummers. I knew one of them was. I, yeah. yeah, you guys would get together and play. My son Paul is—he's uh, thirty-one. He lives in New Orleans, and um, he's actually going out on tour with this crazy band called Daikai Jew. Wow! Daikai Jew means Godzilla. It's a <laughs> surf punk band. They play surf music at the speed of light, and you know the surf bands all have a gimmick. Right. Uh-huh. Well, their gimmick is um, it's based on Japanese anime, you know, animation, yeah. and Japanese monster movies. And their their thing on stage is they wear kabuki masks, and it's <laughs> and it's so fast. It's a hard gig. I saw him play, and I go, man, how are you doing that? Wow. But he uh, he actually toured China. South Korea and Japan a couple of years ago with these guys, and they're they're just doing an American tour this time. But he plays, um, you know, he's not a full time drummer, but he he uh, he takes different gigs every once in a while. My daughter played in high school. She yeah. was an excellent snare drummer. She's like the featured drummer in their um, indoor drumline. Oh wow! Thing. But she quit playing after high school. Okay. You know, yeah. she worked at my drum shop for a while, so I had to brag on my kids. Nice. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, man, thank you so much yeah, thank for taking you. the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, I really yeah, appreciate this it. This is a cool thing you're doing. Thank you, man. I appreciate it.